0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35. Okay, let me just look at you real quick. Okay. You've gotten a little bit older since last time I saw you, but you look good. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. Lord, we thank you for a savior, for Jesus. And Heavenly Father, this, this morning we've sang songs of a joyous heart and a fragile heart and a broken heart. Lord, for that heart that's filled with joy, Lord, I pray that you would confirm your presence. For the heart that is empty and broken, Lord, I pray that you would speak words of comfort and hope. And Lord, for that empty heart, for that guilty heart, Lord, I pray that you would provide forgiveness and hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they didn't know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today, today, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village. Where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him saying, abide with us. The day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he, aphaneros, it says in the original language. It means to disappear, to become invisible. It's translated, he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? All these questions have the same answer. What gives a widow courage as she stands before a fresh grave? What is the ultimate hope of the cripple, the amputee, the burn victim? How can the parents of a brain damaged or physically handicapped child keep from living their whole lives in total despair? Why would anyone who is blind or paralyzed be encouraged when they think about life beyond the grave? How can we see past the martyrdom of some helpless hostage or devoted missionary? Where do the thoughts of a young couple go when they finally recover from the grief of burying their baby or when a family receives the news that their little daughter has been found dead or their dad killed in a plane crash or their son overdosed on drugs? What single truth becomes their whole focus? What is the final answer to pain and mourning, senility and insanity, terminal disease and calamity, fatal accident. I hope by now you've come up with the answer. It is the hope of a resurrection. You know, on Saturday night when I was teaching here, there was a young lady in your, in your congregation who's blind and, and, and she was going, making her way towards the back and she was so excited and she said, I can't wait to go to heaven because the very first thing that I will see is Jesus. I'll be able to see. And I said, you know what? I can't wait to go to heaven either because guess what? In heaven, I'll be tall. (laughs) You know, we're coming up, Lynn, on the 40th anniversary of knowing Skip. Four zero. Can you believe it? We've known each other. We grew up in a little community in the Mojave Desert. Not far from a place called Death Valley. Um, Death Valley is about 200 miles northeast of Los Angeles. It's a baked out gorge that drops some 276 feet below sea level. It is the hottest place in North America. And it reaches temperatures of 134 degrees and streams flow into Death Valley and then they disappear. And the barren wasteland gets barely two and a half inches of rain per year. But something happened when we were very young. For a whole day it rained. And then five days it rained and 10 days it rained, and 15 days it rained, and 19 days it rained, and the bone-dry surfaces of the desert suddenly burst into life. What had lain dormant for years sprung into beautiful flowers, and the valley became a garden. And you know, that's the story of Jesus' resurrection. A desert becomes a garden, and life outwits death, and love outlasts hatred, and hope prevails over despair. A tomb is empty, and the haunting outline of a cruel cross disappears in the glowing sunrise of a Sunday morning. It's three days. Does the surface of your soul feel like a hot desert this morning? Has it been a while since hope reigned inside of you? For some of you, it's like that desert. You get one or two and a half inches per year, but there is something missing, something broken. It's interesting to me that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't go to church. He went for a walk with friends. He had a Bible study. And there was only two of them. One is named Cleopas and the other one is remain, remains unnamed. And I'd like to think that it was maybe you or me. And we get to go for a walk with Jesus. And it was perhaps the most amazing Bible study ever. And Jesus was on a hunt, but it wasn't for eggs, it was for hearts. You see, a couple of friends were confused and sad and broken-hearted, and the most amazing thing of all is that Jesus shows up in disguise. There's a reason why Jesus is the Lord and I'm not. Because if I had risen from the dead, you know, first stop, <laughs> Pilate. I'm risen. I'm risen. I'm risen. <laughs> Then Caiaphas' house. Dude, you were so wrong! (laughs) Then I head over to Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, who's vacationing on the island of Capri, and I'm saying, you know what? You think you're the Lord and the master of the universe, but it's me! But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go to the strong and the powerful He went to two people whose hearts were broken, and he went in disguise. You know, it's interesting to me. He shows up on a dusty desert road, and he shows up for the most amazing reason to provide hope to people whose dreams are shattered, to show up, to confirm promises in the Bible that the Word of God has been true all along. Earlier, He came to the women in the tomb, and they had a broken and a perplexed heart in verse 4. Mary and the others came to prepare a body for anointing, expecting a dead body in verse 10. To the perplexed heart, He opens the tomb. For the discouraged heart of these two disciples disciples he opens their eyes and later to the apostles he will open not only their hearts and their eyes but their lips to proclaim the amazing truth that jesus has risen from the dead have you ever received news that was so good you couldn't even believe it could possibly be true in the eighth grade i received news that i am getting a d in algebra <laughs> yeah you laugh but I, for me that d stood for deliverance <laughs> it was hope maybe you've received the news that after the tests are taken that it's not cancer That the biopsy comes back completely clear or you just finished doing your taxes and all of a sudden you receive a letter from the IRS. Not only do they send you a big, fat check, but they send you an apology letter. They actually apologize to you. And they say, we're so sorry that we've been stealing from you all of these years. That's the kind of joy... That is, in the future of the disciples, if you take a sneak peek at verse 41, it says, But while they didn't believe for joy and marveled, they couldn't contain their joy. Because Jesus is truly, unmistakably alive, and maybe that's you. Your heart is full and filled. You know, Jacob experienced the same kind of feeling when he got news that his son Joseph was alive in Egypt. It is so hard for us to comprehend what it is like to be a parent and hear the news that your child has disappeared only to come back to life. That's the excitement. But some of you may be struggling, discouraged, even asking God why your dream was shattered. And maybe you need to know something. That Jesus is real. And he wants to prove it to you from the Bible. Look what it says in verse 13. Now behold, the two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. This is the third resurrection appearance of Jesus to his his friends and disciples. He's shown himself alive to Mary Magdalene. The second appearance of Jesus takes place in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 2 through 8. And then Luke's version of that second appearance appears... In Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 11. And now he appears incognito. In disguise. And like I said he's in disguise for good reasons. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. That faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You see you may think that God exists to make you happy. But God thinks that you exist to make him happy. He created you so that you could know him and love him. And so Jesus is going to give the sad travelers the Bible study of a lifetime. And he goes to a village named Emmaus. And by the way, the text says it's some seven or eight miles. It's, it's, a, it's 60 stadia west of Jerusalem. We don't know exactly where it is. Later in verse 29, it says that Jesus, they're inviting Jesus to abide with them. They may have had relatives there. We don't know. But the one thing that we do know is that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Emmaus is the wrong direction. Because you see, life is in Jerusalem. Fellowship is in Jerusalem. Hope is in Jerusalem. A resurrection from the dead is in Jerusalem. And in a few weeks, God is going to pour out His Holy Spirit on the hearts of the people in Jerusalem. We see that they're going to return before the end of the day. And you see, for you, even though you may be tired and hurt, there's a direction that you can go. And one of those directions is away from God and away from the promises of God and away from the hope that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can walk in the direction of friendship and fellowship and hope, which is all around you. And in verse 14 it says, and they talked together of all of those things that had happened. Remember, they're talking about, did you hear what happened this morning? The seal of Rome was broken. All of the Roman soldiers has fled. You don't break the seal of Rome. By the way, Roman soldiers had a crack team. It was their, their version of, of the army rangers or the navy seals or the green beret. Wasn't it great when those Navy SEALs went out into the Indian Ocean and three shots and three dead pirates? Yes, you can clap. Talk about getting good news. Can you imagine the news that that, that family received when they found out that, that their husband and father was alive? Makes me want to sing. Yo-ho, yo-ho, it's a Christian's life for me. <laughs> to tell of his love and the life from above, the end will never see. The storms may come, the storms may go, but it's a Christian's life for me. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> the ladies had went earlier at the tomb. The stone was rolled away. An angel greeted them. Peter and John raced to the empty tomb. John believed, Peter didn't. You can imagine, they're talking about the things that were happening and and they couldn't believe, they couldn't believe, they couldn't believe these things. They didn't understand these things. They they were trying to interpret the events of these things. And they had zero idea that Jesus was going to show up. You know, you may have come to church this morning at the invitation of a family member or or a friend. And you've been to church before. And somewhere in the back of your heart, you wonder if a resurrected Savior could show up and change your life. They... Conversed and reasoned, it says in verse 15. By the way, the word reasoned can also mean debate. The idea is there's no body, there's an empty tomb, there's a supernatural visitation, there's eyewitness testimony, there's this debate going back and forth and back and forth. And what you have to understand is in the midst of that debate, empty tomb, we don't believe, no body, we don't believe, angelic visit, we don't believe, eyewitness testimony of the women, we don't believe. In verse 15, so it was while they reasoned and conversed that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, But their eyes were restrained so that they didn't know him. This is an act of divine intervention. Jesus can and will withhold his identity from us when it suits his purpose. You may have prayed a prayer. Lord, I need you to show up. I need you to be real. I need you to speak to me. But Jesus will withhold his identity when it suits his purpose, particularly when he's trying to affect a change in your life and it wouldn't have been unusual for Jewish travelers to be joined by another Jewish traveler and you can imagine their hope and shattered dreams Jesus opens his mouth in verse 17 and he said to them what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and are sad we translates this verse what are these words which you're tossing to and fro in such a animated heated conversation as you're walking is this fox news am i am i on fox because they're yelling and screaming and arguing with each other and they came to a standstill with gloomy countenanced faces to put it in the modern vernacular we could translate this dudes why are you so bummed Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, Did you just fall off the hatch green chili truck? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? How could you not know? It would be like coming to America and saying... How could you not know that the captain was recovered in the Indian Ocean? It would be like if you came to my place in Denver, in South Denver, in the Columbine Valley, and and you drove by Columbine High School, and you said, what what happened there? You know, it's the 10-year anniversary. Today's April 19th. This morning, Brian Rohrbaugh, whose son was tragically killed at Columbine High School 10 years ago, is teaching at our church service this morning. He's talking about the wonderful hope and he's giving his testimony about how God showed up even in those tragic circumstances. I was speaking to him earlier this this week and he said, April 19th, if you would have told me on April 19th that on April 20th my son would be dead. I would never believe you. I couldn't even imagine that it could happen. Imagine going to New York and the Twin Towers are gone. Imagine you walk through the streets and you say, what happened here on September 11th? How could you not know? How could you be oblivious? How could you be so unaware? Some of you have had that prayer conversation with Jesus. Jesus, don't you know what's going on in my life? How could you not be aware that my husband has left me? That my wife is leaving me? How could you not be aware that my children are having these problems? How could you not know? Oh, but he does know. He knows each and every circumstance of your life. You see, Jesus, even though He was a country preacher from the Galilee, His execution was a public execution. Tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people crowded into Jerusalem. His death was known and obvious. His execution was public And he said the most amazing things that have ever been said. And he did the most amazing things that have ever been done. And he's asking the question, how could you not know? The same is true today. People cram into churches all around the world. And they ask and answer the same old questions Was the resurrection of Jesus a hoax? Was it a fantasy or a myth projection? Was his resurrection literal, bodily, spiritual? Did Jesus rise in the same body in which he died or a different one? Do the answers really matter? Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. There's nothing that matters more. It's hard not to laugh when we read verse 19. He said, what things? What things? You know, I think in the midst of tragedy, there's something inside of us that wants to laugh. We want to make the tragedy go away. We want to somehow diffuse the grief and the anger. Many years ago, I was at a funeral home with uh, an older lady who had lost her husband, and, and she's going through the little repertoire of the, of the caskets, and she goes, Did you see how much money this casket costs? It's $3,000. Man, if I would have known it was so expensive to die, I would have made the old man make a coffin before he died. And I'm going, what do you say? What do you say? What exactly are you supposed to say at that point? I didn't know what to say, so I just waited for her to say something else. And she said, what do you think I could give for $200? I don't know what possessed me to say... Saran wrap. (laughs) To my deep relief, she burst out laughing because I could see how that could go really bad. He says the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. The answer of Jesus in the midst of this hopeless circumstance is amazing. And then in verses 19 through 24, we see Cleopas communicate the facts as he understands them. He's a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body, when they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive when you read that you need to understand something when he's saying those words he doesn't believe that jesus is alive and the reason why he doesn't believe that is because dead people in his experience don't come back to life he's communicating what he believes to be true jesus clearly is a prophet but is he something more muslims believe that jesus is a prophet. Even some observant Jews believe that Jesus was a prophet. But Cleopas can't bring himself to say that he is God's Messiah who's risen from the dead. And many people know the circumstances surrounding the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They can cite chapter and verse, but they don't really believe it. You know, some people have likened belief in the resurrection to four stages. Number one, stage one, fairy tale, myth, unbelievable. Look at verse twenty two. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they blew our minds, as my friend Rawl Reese would say. It many blows my mind. <laughs> you guys had Rawl here not too long ago, huh? He is so good. He is so funny. You can't believe it. And then there's skeptical, but willing to check out the facts in verse 23. Yeah, you know, there's an empty tomb. And so a couple of people went, you know, the the stories are astonishing. It's amazing. It doesn't make sense, but we're going to check it out. And maybe some of you have come to that place in your life where you're willing to examine the claims of Christianity. And then there's, A personal encounter with Jesus. That's what takes place in verse 31. Where it says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. Do you remember the day that your eyes were opened? And you knew him? You believed the truth about Jesus. And you see number four, then as they commit themselves to him, they understand the reality of Jesus' presence. Empty tomb, supernatural events, testimony of the women. On the first resurrection day, these two people simply didn't believe. Warren Wiersbe writes, their real problem wasn't in their head, but it was in their hearts. They could have discussed the subject for days and never arrived at a satisfactory answer. But what they needed was a fresh understanding of the word of God and Jesus was about to give it to them. He opened the scriptures and then opened their eyes and they realized that Jesus was not only alive, but right there with them. You have a great privilege. This is one of the great churches in America. And I believe that one of the reasons why this is one of the great churches in America is because you have one of the great Bible teachers in America. Every week, week after week, Skip opens the scriptures to you so that you will see Jesus. So that you will understand the hope and the promises that are contained in the word of God. You have great Bible study groups and women's groups and men's groups and student ministries. Faithful men and women opening up the scriptures so that you can see Jesus. And then in verse 25 it says, Then he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things in order to enter into his glory? Why didn't you understand? Why couldn't you bring yourself to believe that everything that the Bible has to say about Jesus is true? And then in verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you have a Bible, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the table of contents. And as you're turning to the table of contents, I want you to place your finger at the table of contents at the book of Genesis, at the beginning of Moses. Jesus is going to talk about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And He gives us a key principle. He expounds to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure that you do. The Bible is a book about Jesus. Every book in the Bible is about Jesus. Every chapter in the Bible is about Jesus. Every book in the Bible has something to say about Jesus. Put your finger on Genesis. Jesus in Genesis is... The beginning, just like it says in Colossians, it says that Jesus created the heavens and the earth, that everything made, Jesus made it. Jesus is the beginning, Jesus is the chosen, Jesus is the prepared. In Exodus, He's the Passover, He's the Redeemer of His... People And the merciful I am in Leviticus, Jesus is the object of our worship. Jesus is the burnt offering. Jesus is the peace offering. Jesus is the sin offering in numbers. He's the shepherd of his wandering people directing and sustaining them, testing them and ordering them to go into the land. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the great one who makes the covenant with his people. He makes ready the nation. He teaches them. He's the loving Lord and the great reward who pleads with his people to obey the Lord. In Joshua, Jesus is the promised land that we faithfully occupy. In the ancient times, the Jews were told to occupy the land, but we're to occupy Christ from Matthew to the book of Revelation. In Judges, Jesus is the one who drives out sin and provides deliverance from oppressors, repentance for the sorrowful, and deliverance from the idolater. In Ruth, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he is a prophet who is a priest who is the judge. In 2 Samuel, Jesus is David's son. He's the true man after God's own heart. In 2 Kings, Jesus is God's faithful covenant to the people. He's Elijah's promise of grace, of life and hope. In 1 Chronicles, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah and the one who sits on David's throne. In 2 Chronicles, he's the one who is greater than the temple. In Ezra, Jesus is the promise of the future, the forgiver and the restorer of the people. In Nehemiah, Jesus is the promise of restoration, protection, leadership and identification. In Esther, Jesus puts himself in the place of death to win the approval of the king and the preservation of his people. He's our advocate in Job. Jesus is our daysman, the mediator who identifies with us in our suffering and yet remains our only hope for redemption. In Psalms, Jesus is our song. He is our worship. And like the gospels, he is the king who is the servant, who is the son of man and the son of God. In Proverbs, he's wisdom personified and perfection incarnate. He in Ecclesiastes, Jesus is eternity and our hearts ultimate satisfaction in the song of solomon he's the faithful husband and we're his bride in isaiah Jesus' salvation seated on the throne in Jer- jeremiah He's the righteous branch who reigns and prospers in Lamentations. He's the prophet who weeps over Jerusalem saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to myself, but you wouldn't come. He is the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. In Ezekiel, he's the Messiah who is the king, the tender twig, the stately cedar, the lofty mountain. In Daniel, Jesus is the great stone that comes from heaven and crushes the king of this world. He's the ancient of the days, the Messiah who's cut off. In Hosea, he's undying and loyal love. In Joel, he's the baptizer and the Holy Spirit and the one who judges the nations in the valley of decision. In Amos, he's the one who has all authority to judge the people. In Obadiah, he's the savior of Israel, the possessor of the kingdom. In Jonah, he's the son of man in the belly of the sea creature, greater than Jonah, the one who was in the belly of the earth and he comes back to life. In Micah, he's the promise of Bethlehem. And the one who's going forth was from everlasting to everlasting. In Nahum, he's the judge of the nations at the second coming. In Habakkuk, he's the justifier of the faithful and the one who fills the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. In Zephaniah, he's the great day of the Lord. In Haggai, he's the one who restores the temple and blesses the people. He's Zerubbabel's In Zechariah, he is God and man, the righteous branch, the stone with seven eyes, the king who is the priest, the good shepherd, the one who's sold for 30 pieces of silver, who comes riding in on a donkey, the pierced one, the smitten shepherd, the righteous king. In Malachi, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus doesn't teach them simply doctrine or simply prophecy. He teaches them the things concerning Himself. And these men talked. And they listened. And they laughed. And do you remember what happened? When Jesus says, you know what, I need to go just a little bit further down the road. You know what they did? They begged him to go home with them. They'd been won by the word of God. And they didn't even know who the stranger was. For some of you, the Bible is a strange book. But it's a book about Jesus. Every book. Every chapter. Every verse. All they knew was that their hearts were burning. And they wanted the blessing to last. And then Jesus shows up. You know, the more we receive the word of God, the more we're going to want fellowship with the God of the word. And now they knew for themselves that Jesus was alive. Sure, there was an empty tomb. Sure, there was an angel's announcement. Sure, there was the testimony of the women. But now they knew for themselves. And the stranger vanished. But he remained with them. And he never left them. I'm hoping and praying, I'm hoping and praying that each and every one of you will take Jesus home with you this afternoon. This was in a journal. Dear Eutychus, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed bewildered. Dear Bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails. Thirty-nine heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours. See what happens. Signed, Eutychus. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. Lord, I pray that in the midst of sorrow and discouragement. They would refuse to run away from hope and from friendship and from the promises. Lord, I pray that they would be willing to go in the right direction. The direction where. There is fellowship, where there's kinship, where there's support and encouragement. And Lord, I pray, I pray for this family and for this fellowship. Lord, I pray that as you pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, I pray that you would raise up a mighty army of men and women who present Christ in Jesus' name.